At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, October 26th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour with you today to help you accomplish your goals. And that takes incremental steps. You rarely take giant leaps. It's about putting one foot in front of the other and making every day count. Now, in today's changing market, it's important to have a broader perspective, a long-term perspective, looking multiple, not just a couple of decades. Ten years seems like a long time, but in market history, it is not. Because there are cyclical cycles and then there's secular cycles and we are at the end of one and that is the cycle that really or the, the the secular cycle that was brought on by combining western capital with eastern resources and this is post the fall of the berlin wall even started a little bit before that with uh with japan and their growth throughout the 80s, and that was really the kickstart of you know exporting, manufacturing jobs, et cetera, and, and having this free flowing of goods throughout the world. And it was lit on fire when we had the fall of the Berlin Wall, and you had all of the, what I say, Eastern resources, not just the commodities. Think of the commodities that came out of Russia post the fall of the Soviet Union, but also the labor within Russia as well as mainly China. And so you combine that with Western capital and know-how and business expertise, and that brought this immaculate disinflationary world. And now we are at the end of that. That is all reversing to some degree in fits and starts, but we know that trend has shifted. So that's what we are here to help you navigate, and I'm going to do that by answering your questions, and giving you my unbiased perspective developed with over 20 years of investment experience. So we're going to talk about today's market performance and run down some show topics, but right after we answer this first caller question. Hi, Justin or Steve. Wanted to get your opinion on ticker symbol J, Jacobs Engineering. I'm still up about 20%. I've owned them for a couple of years now. Just wanted to get your thoughts on the company. If you think I should buy more, hold, or sell a little bit. Thank you. Bye. All right, looking at Jacobs Engineering, and this is in the heavy construction industry. It provides technical, professional construction services to industrial, commercial, and government clients. Pretty large, $16 billion company. And let's take a look at the balance sheet. The balance sheet in today's world is probably the most important 
aspect that you have to analyze of a business. And for them, they have roughly about $3 billion in debt on free cash flow of nearly a billion dollars. So very, very strong balance sheet. Nothing wrong on that front. Not a big dividend payer, but like I said, this is an environment where you probably don't want a lot of big dividend payers. You want the low dividend payers with good balance sheets that can grow that dividend over time. Much better place to be invested. Now, Jacobs is also buying back shares. They had 130 million shares outstanding back in 2020. Sorry, 2021. And actually, let's zoom back out. They're a consistent buyer of their own shares. 2018, 142 million shares. Now back down to 126 million shares. So I like that they are using a lot of that free cash flow to buy back shares at a, looks like, reasonable prices. Now the chart has pulled back as of late. Uh, was at 140 and change. Now it's about 133 and change. Still is in an uptrend. Clear uptrend, absolutely outperforming the market since it peaked in mid-July. In fact, this is still up since mid-July. So these are the type of names that you certainly want to own, return on equity right around 12%, which is not amazing, but it's solid and it's a consistent performer. That's what I like about it. If you go look at the earnings projections uh, going back all the way to 2016, they pretty much made more and more money every single year, even through the pandemic. So even a pandemic can't really shake their business. So I like this. I would hold on to it. I, I see no reason why you'd want to sell it. It's a pullback. It's a natural way these things go. All right. Now we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 45 minutes. Here is what I have planned, time permitting. Now my main focus point looks in the story set up by this headline, Lessons from the Post-Pandemic Bull Market. And we know the Federal Reserve is powerful, but they are clumsy. They make mistakes. So we're going to look back on this last three, four years and see what we've learned. So we're going to talk about the post-pandemic bull market, post-pandemic investment options that you might have picked or maybe avoided smartly. And it'll give us a lot of insight into investor behavior. Now, on top of that, we also are going to touch on a few other things. When insurance go up, that creates, that breaks things. We've had this, this is a story as old as time. So we're going to look back in history and show you what broke in the past. And hint, hint, it almost rarely is the last thing that broke. Think the housing market. Rarely as ever. Also, the set and forget it portfolio. Is that going the thing of the dodo bird? We're going to look at that. And then also, the type of companies that have outperformed since June the end of June, which is really kind of around the peak of the market and when interest rates really started to head higher. And it'll tell you a lot about the type of companies that will thrive in this type of market. All right, we have a lot of voice bank questions to get to. One is on Texas Instruments as well as Google. And I'll try to fit in an iTunes review question as well. Let's talk about the market overall today. It was certainly a down day on the back of Meta's disappointing results. That was down about 3.7%. But it weighed on the big large cap tech in general. Tesla was down 3%. Apple's down 2.5%. Amazon down an additional 1.5%, I believe. Did they? Res Report results, I know it's either after the bell today or was it tomorrow? Let me look, pull this up. Oh, yeah, it's moved pretty decently. Yeah, I think they, they're up a little bit after hours. Nothing crazy. But overall, the 
the large cap growth is down 1.77%, but there were swaths of the market, parts of the market that were actually up. Small caps are up about three-tenths of 1%. Small cap value up 0.83%, almost a 1% positive day on the small cap value front. Mid cap value up 0.36%. So a big difference between large cap growth down 1.77 and small cap value up 0.83%, about 2.5% spread in just this one day. Big move in growth versus value on the day today. NVIDIA down 3.5%, looking threatening to break some major support, and you could see that flush lower. Obviously, that has earnings coming up as well. So uh, interesting day, but again, but it really the, the, the main story today was that drastic outperformance, the, the biggest outperformance of value over growth since July 20th, July 20th. And that kind of sparked, uh, I think, the shift in the market. And you're starting to get that follow through. So while I think we have a positive year end, right, SP higher than where it is today. I think this is the start of that rotation and getting shades of 2022 again, where you have those large cap techs really uh, taking on the chin on higher interest rates. And, you know, the meta news was or the, the, the earnings were not that bad. But when you have, actually, I would say the earnings were pretty good. And the market, and it was down. So when you have good news and prices are down, that is a sign that things are too stretched. It's overowned, and there's more sellers out there waiting to sell than buyers waiting to get in. And that's what you're seeing uh, in lar- a lot of those large cap deck names. And many are very overowned by the hedge funds, which we call them hedge fund hotels. I mean, they're in when the trend's good, but they're quick to get out when the trends have shifted. And for many of those. Uh, large cap tech names. It looks like this earnings season has broken that uptrend. All right, we're heading to a break. Let me tell you about the new Invest Talk Sector Spotlight series that you can find for free over on YouTube, and it's focused on the real estate sector. And we know that this is an environment that's different than 2008. Not a lot of forced selling. Many people locked in to fixed mortgage rates at 3%. And so that creates tight supply. Almost no matter what, because we've had a decade plus of underbuilding. So if you want to learn more about this cycle, how it compares to previous ones, head over to our YouTube channel and check out the Invest Talk Sector Spotlight on our real estate episode. All right, the phone lines are open. Waiting for your questions at 888 chart Get ready for the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar. Profit amidst chaos. Strategic investing in a recession. The Wealth Webinar will be presented online and free of charge, but you have to register in advance to reserve your spot. Which sectors tend to soar and which plummet during economic downturns? With the right strategies, you can safeguard your investments and also seize unique opportunities. So join Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein and Luke Guerrero of KPP Financial as they take you through the maze of mysteries involved with investing in times of recession. Tell your friends about the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar. It's happening live, online, and free Thursday, November 9th from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. 
Go to investtalk.com and register now. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. All right, my main focus point looks in the story set up by this headline, and that is lessons from the post-pandemic bull market. And I'm going to talk about the post-pandemic investment options that many people chose and investor behavior. And that's really what you need to learn is to avoid a lot of the bad investment behavior and the animal spirits, which are strong when things are going well. The emotions are, we talk about all the time, avoiding emotions. And it's very difficult when your friend comes to you and said how they made so much money on this particular investment. I'm up 60% in two months. Right? FOMO, fear of missing out. Also known as greed, you know. That's what I call it. The new word is FOMO. The old word is fear, or is greed, excuse me. Now, that era of, we call it the coronavirus giddiness, it's past. Markets are down, asset prices are down from the peak in late 2021, or you call it January 2022. So let's reflect on it. Now, the first lesson is the Federal Reserve is powerful, but they're not all that smart. Right? They're very reactionary. But sometimes they react slow and sometimes they react fast. Now, in deflation, what one thing you have to learn is in deflationary episodes, they tend to act fast. That's what the co- the coronavirus lockdowns were. They're, that's one of the most deflationary things you can do to an economy. You shut it all down. So what do they do? They put a bazooka out there, both federal governments as well as the Fed. But they were slow to remove that accommodation. So I talk about it all the time that – so many people are they PTSD. The housing market is a perfect example. But what you have to realize is that so does government. And they put things in place to try to avoid that same scenario. And they will react in the, in the near future to avoid a major deflationary bust like 08 again. And that's what caused the reaction to COVID. So... You have to really set your expectations for the way that the policymakers think and the way they are, what they're trying to avoid and what they're trying to accomplish. The next was think of all the, the fads, the cryptocurrencies. Uh, that was Bitcoin price grew 11% in just a few months. Sorry, 11 fold, excuse me, in just a few months. Uh, you have the meme stocks, Robinhood, SPACs, NFTs, and pretty much they're all gone. Except for Robinhood, which is down by 90%. Uh, and then Bitcoin's still around, but most other cryptocurrencies are, are gone. So this is the lessons that you can take from this environment that don't get caught up in the emotions. 
That's the main takeaway. All right, we're heading to a break. Give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Noel in Napa looking at SIL, which is the Silver Miners ETF, the Global X Silver Miners. Do you own it or looking to buy it? Oh, I own it, and I've had it for quite a while. Should I continue on with that, Justin? Well, it all depends on your view on precious metals. Obviously, the miners are going to have a are going to be much more volatile than the precious metals in general. Uh, and you've had a big reversal over the past few weeks in gold and silver. Uh, silver's lagged just a bit. But it still has had a nice move. And I think this is the start of the next breakout uh, in precious metals. So I think silver, SIL, should work its way higher. Although, you know, as you've felt it, it has, uh, it's going to be more volatile because it ha- those companies mm-hmm. within there have operating leverage. So uh, I would hold it at this point. Okay. Thank you, Justin. No problem. Thanks for the call. 888 chart 888 Let's uh Let's play two in a row right now. Hey, Steve and Justin. It's Kevin calling from La Crescenta again. My question is about Texas Instruments. The symbol is TXN. Uh, they had earnings that um, didn't meet expectations and a fairly uh, big drop last night and today. I have probably about 2% invested in there. And I'm wondering if you think this is a good time to add on to it at this price. All right. I appreciate your answer as always. Thank you. All right. Text Instruments is down pretty nicely from its high around $200 per share. Now we're at 144 Earnings came out. Revenue's down 14%. Earnings down 25%. But you're talking about $7.10 expected earnings this year. That's still well up from pre-pandemic levels, around $5.24. Very solid company with a very clean balance sheet next to no debt, net debt in its balance sheet. And I think that this is getting to into major support. Now, the major support is around one closer to 134. Now, it's at 144. So you're about 7% away from there. Sometimes it doesn't get all the way there. So maybe you start a position, you know, start adding to the position now. I wouldn't mind that. Uh, you know, I just think this is a very good company approaching major support. The valuations are not too out of whack 13.7 times enterprise value to EBITDA. The five year average is 16.4. So I think it's at reasonable valuations and getting close to that major support. So do you want to wait? all the way to 134 potentially, uh, but you're certainly in the zone where you want to start picking this up. So uh, I like Texas Instruments. I know it's this, not the sexy name within the chip space, but it is a name that produces uh, a lot of very basic chips, but basic chips go into everything in today's world, right? And got the government is certainly supporting the chip sector here in the United States, and Texas Instruments is uh, pretty much the original 
American chip manufacturer. So uh, I, I like it closer to 134, but I also still like it here at 144. All right. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on let's go let's talk about the trends since June within the underlying market. And this is a very interesting study. And what it looked at was an equally weighted basket, equally weighted, so not market cap weighted like the S&P. And they looked at 50 the, the 50 companies with, within the S&P with the strongest balance sheets, okay? And they rate them by what is called Altman Z-score. Now, you can go and look up the formula and everything, but basically it is a formula by uh, that was invented by a professor. I forgot where or whatever, but I, it's, it's, it's a very common way to get a good view of the strength of a balance sheet. Now, it's not perfect. It has its flaws, but it's a pretty good summation. And so it looks at the top 50 Altman Z scores within the S&P 500 and equal weights that. And then it looked at the 80 US listed equities in the Russell 3000 with the highest floating rate debt as a percentage of total debt. And since June, that basket of those 80 that have a lot of rising rate debt down 8.5% since the end of June. Uh, and the equal weighted S&P 500 with good balance sheets, it's only down 4.6. So still down, which just shows you the power of rising interest rates and what how that impacts certain companies. So it's very important in this environment. Now, if you get a rally in bonds and a drop in rates, kind of got that a little bit today, you're going to see that somewhat reverse. But as I've been saying, this should be a message to you. If you're watching this market, you're studying this market, you should know that, okay, while near term, we may be at some sort of inflection point. I do think that. Long term, the trend is now in place. That the era of low interest rates and companies abusing those low interest rates by buying back shares and leveraging up their balance sheet, that is gone. That is no longer a winning formula. The winning formula is profits, cash flow, low debt. That is going back to that era of being smart with corporate finances. And if you find companies that can do that and stay that way, you'll be set to outperform. Now, the next Invest Talk, we'll look into the story set up by this question. Financial conditions are tightening. What does that mean? That's tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, Whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, 
It's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Get ready for the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar Profit Amidst Chaos Strategic Investing in a Recession. Set for November 9th, the Wealth Webinar will be presented online and free of charge. Thursday, November 9th, from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to investtalk.com and register now. Hey, Justin, this is James from Georgia, trying to reach you, Luke or Steve. I'm holding Google. Google is down almost 10% today. It's up 42.56% since I've been holding it. I've got a good chunk of this, too. Should I be reducing my position? Curious what you think I should do going forward with Google. I'll listen for your answer on the show. Thank you. I think you absolutely sell Google. This had a bad reaction to decent earnings. Once again, when you get good earnings... Revenue is up 11%, earnings up 42%, and the stock was down 10%. That is a sign the buyers, there's all the buyers are in. Now it's about selling. Who's going to sell? And you don't want to be the last one to sell, right, uh, in this cycle. You want to be one of the first ones. And you had another fall through day-to-day down $2.23. And it broke the 100-day moving average, which it broke above that back in March and it stayed solidly above that ever since and so that this uptrend is now broken so the technicals are now bearish near term you made a lower high from the highs back in late 2021 and this is a cyclical name remember google is very reliant on ad sales and meta in their conference call talked about how early in the fourth quarter they saw a noticeable dip in ad spending and that's going to flow through to other companies within the digital advertising space. So, 
yeah, this is an absolute uh, sell for me. Uh, and you just look at other names within the space, like Trade Desk, also in the digital ad advertising space, that's now below the 200-day moving average and in a clear downtrend. So yeah, Google's the strongest probably within the, the space. But if you're talking about over the next 6 to 12 months, I definitely think Google is headed for a protracted downturn that could bring it all the way back down to where you saw it late last year well below $100 per share and into the 80s. Now at that level, maybe you start thinking about it again, but at this point, I would be selling it. All right, now when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Barb in Brooklyn says, what are your thoughts on buying 10 or 30-year treasury bonds now? Well, it depends on your time horizon. I've said, I think we're close to an inflection point. On rates, and you've seen that really over the past four days. You had a big sell-off on Monday. I don't want to say sell-off, rally, I guess you could say, in, in bonds. Uh, a drop of the 10-year from right around 5% all the way to 4.7. It bounced back the next couple of days, and today you had another one. A drop from nearly 5% once again all the way down to, at the close today, 484 5%. So you're starting to see that momentum of rates going up reversing. And the odds in, are increasing that there will be a rate cut by second quarter next year. There's now a 37.5% chance that in the May meeting of next year, so that's right in the middle of that second quarter, that the Fed funds rate will be lower than it is today. It's pretty high. That's very high, especially if you, if you consider a month ago, one month ago, those odds were at about 3%. Now we're at 37.5%. That's a big change. And so if you're talking about a trade only, yes, 10, 30 year, that's duration. That's a duration trade. Sure. But as a long-term hold... No. What I think is going to happen is you're going to go through a rate-cutting cycle, but they're not going to go back to zero. They can't. They can't. Because inflation will rage too hard. And so they're going to mildly cut rates. You'll go through a rate-cutting cycle, and you'll bottom at a much higher level than we did before, right? An uptrend. Make a higher low. You know, do we pull back from 5% on the 10-year to 3.5? I think that's very possible in this cycle. But I don't think we're going back down to 1%, 2%. We're now in this longer-term uptrend in rates due to inflation as well as our fiscal position. And so there's the secular cycle that I'm talking about. That's a secular cycle, long-term trend. And then there's a cyclical cycle. For the cyclical cycle, yes, I think we're late cycle of this economic expansion. There will be a mild recession next year, which will precipitate a rate-cutting cycle that will give a rally to 10-year bonds, 30-year bonds, etc. But inflation will not stay down. They will stay 3 4 5%. And then you'll get a turn back up. 
Now, is that a year? Is that 12 months from now? Is that 24 months from now? Is that 36 months from now? I'm not sure. We'll see. See how it goes. Hard to call it from here. But with everything, you always have to look at your time horizon. So short to medium term, yes. Long term, absolutely not. All right, let's talk a bit about, since we're on interest rates, talk about the financial drama that higher rates typically cause. And we're going to look back in history. Now, what's important to understand is that it's not about the nominal rate that a cycle takes you to. It's about the speed of that rate move. And obviously, we've had a huge move over the past couple of years. And what do we do? It triggered a regional banking crisis earlier this year. You also had a pension crisis in the UK. And both took governments to step in. Remember I talked about the top of the show? They will step in. They will prevent a major deflationary bust. But let's look back in history. And there was actually a study. It was published in May. And it looked at rate increases for 17 developed countries over 150 years. And it, it concluded that monetary policy rate hikes that were preceded by a series of cuts materially increased crisis risk. So doing big U-turns, right? Think, think of COVID crisis. Cut rates dramatically to the bone. Kept them there for a little bit and then ramped rates super high. It was a big U-turn because inflation was not transitory because we're in this new regime. And so what this U-turn, U-shaped type monetary policy path does is increases banking crisis risk via credit and asset price cycles. So you get credit losses, liquidity crunches, and obviously high, highly leveraged companies, institutions of any kind play a critical role. Now, going back to the 1980s, we had the SNL crisis. And this was really brought on by just actually bad government policy. We know the Fed ramped rates up in the late 70s and 80s to conquer inflation. And then what the federal government did was they set a cap on what these, the thrifts, the savings and loans, excuse me, uh, what they could pay for deposits. So clearly what happened? Deposit flight, just like everyone's doing now. I'm going to move my money elsewhere. Remember, nothing's new under the sun. There's always an analog in history. And SNL is a pretty pretty good one for this. But a probably better one is Continental Illinois National Bank and Trust. This was 1984. It was the seventh largest U.S. bank in May of that year. And it suffered a global run on its deposits. Sound familiar? Silicon Valley Bank, anyone? What did they do back then? They were growing rapidly. Why? Because they were giving below market rates. And rates kept going up. Went from the 10-year treasury earlier in the year, went from 10% to 13%. And so they were making below market Loans, those loans declined rapidly. They couldn't sell them because they were below market. 
And regulators seized the company, and it was actually the original too-big-to-fail bank. Then you go back to Black Monday. That was also a time when interest rates moved up from 7.5% to 10% in a short period of time because the dollar had weakened against the West German mark. And that, combined with portfolio insurance and index arbitrage and program trading, which was in its infancy, created a 22% slide in the, in the, in the Dow. Now they turn those computer trading, trading systems off if there's too much volatility. 94, you had doubling of interest rates. In 12 months, from 3% to 6%, the last hike was 75 basis points. And then you had the Orange County, California, here where I live. I remember I was in school back when that happened. Filed for bankruptcy. Pretty crazy. Then the dot-com bubble. June 99, rates went up. They had six rate hikes from June 99 to May 2000. And that popped, obviously, the 2000 bubble. And we all know what happened with the 07 recession. All right, now we get investor calls from around the world and all over America. This question came in earlier from DC at 888 chart Great day, Justin and Steve. This is Rodney from Washington, DC. Uh, let me first lead off with, I love the show. Uh, you guys keep up the great work. The two investments I'd like for, to get some insight on, have you guys take a look at is Vanek Gold Miners ETF and the iShares Silver Trust ETF. Ticker symbols are GDX. And SLV, that's gold, diamond, X-ray, and silver, laughing, Victor. Appreciate it. Thanks for all the help and insight over the years, and uh, look forward to uh, hearing more from you guys. All right, looking to get exposure to precious metals. I guess it's a good time to do that. And you're talking about GDX, the gold miners, versus SLV, which is just the underlying silver exposure, silver prices. Now, the simple answer here is, depends how aggressive you are. Silver is the safer way, or just SLV, excuse me, in general, is, this, is safer than GDX. Why? Because GDX owns companies. Companies can have problems. Mines can shut down. They have balance sheets that they may have managed carefully or not. And then when prices of precious metals fall, they have operating leverage. So... They tend to go down more than the actual price, but they also go up more than the, the actual price of the underlying metal because of that operating leverage. So GDX is going to be more risky. Silver is just the movement of that price, SLV. I think both are fine. I think you maybe have a little bit of both. But once again, it depends on your risk tolerance level. If you're aggressive, GDX. If you don't feel like you want to be that aggressive, then it'd be SLV. All right, I think we can squeeze one more question in now, so let's try. I had a question on Schwab the bank, ticker symbol SCHW. I just wanted to know your guys' thoughts where they're not mentioned as much as some of the other bigger banks out there. Thanks, look forward to hearing, and uh, take care. Bye. All right, looking at Charles Schwab. And this is struggled because it has similar problems as the regional banks. But you could argue, and I kind of will argue, that this is now starting to become a better time. 
if you do get an inflection in those rates, right? If higher rates are a problem for the Schwabs of the world, then lower rates will be beneficial. And I will say, I'd much rather own Schwab than a regional bank. We use Schwab as our custodian. They're good. And guess what? They have a steady set of deposits from investors. Yeah, those investors might be buying treasuries and things like that, but you know, there's money coming in. People sell out, sell their stock. What does that go into? That's basically goes into Schwab Bank. And they have to go and take that cash and invest it in somewhere else. And so there's always going to be a level of just cash, quote unquote, deposits that Schwab's holding. So I think over time, the fact that they did buy a lot of low yielding securities, the, the, their steady deposit base is going to allow them to manage through that. So if you want a duration play here, this is actually a pretty interesting one. So for the first time in a while, first time since this banking crisis, I'm going to give Schwab a modest thumbs up. And guess what? Now it's sitting near the lowest level since that crisis. But good day today on the back of lower rates of 4% today because rates did move. So giving it a modest thumbs up. All right, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here each and every weekday, and it's help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk quiz. Hey, Steve and Justin, a little bit of a different question for you. Would just love your kind of personal opinion or philosophy on splurging on yourself. So we do a great job of kind of checking all the boxes. We max out our 401ks. We max out our Roth IRAs. We have our kids' college savings in place. We have a bridge account in place. So kind of check all the boxes and still have the lucky enough to have some disposable income at the end. But I do personally have a hard time of getting out of the mentality of continuing to accumulate savings and things like that. And don't think we always spend enough on ourselves. So we just kind of love your philosophy or opinion on that and how you go about that or recommend people to kind of change their mindset into actually spending some time. Thanks and look forward to listening on the podcast. I love this call. Love this question. Different. Talks more about personal finance, which is frankly just as important. Actually, sorry. It's more important than the investment side. I know the investment side is more interesting, but the personal finance, savings, and spending habits are far more important to achieving your goals. Now, it's great that you're maxing out your retirement accounts, you're saving consistently, and you have some more disposable income. Now, the first thing I would say is, have you built out a financial plan to know that, okay, if I save this amount consistently, 
I am going to have enough to retire by when I want to. Now, by the sounds of it, it's prob- you probably will, right? You're maxing all that stuff out. You're, it doesn't sound like you're a big spender. But maybe you want to retire when you're 45. You know, uh, it, it, everyone's a little bit different. So first off, I would say you need to build that financial plan to know where you're headed and what your financial picture sh- is likely to look like at retirement, whatever that age might be. Now, once you've done that and you say, okay, I'm on a good path and based on, you know, a million scenarios, you know, we do Monte Carlo simulations for, for our clients that you will be on track. I actually think you should spend on yourself. You work hard. You've been disciplined. You're saving correctly. And you have to, life is about enjoying it, not just about counting your Counting your money. You want to do things that make you happy, whether that is traveling, maybe that's just splurging on your children or maybe grandchildren or cousins or nephews, nieces and nephews, whatever that is. Maybe you have a hobby that you want to get into or do more of. I absolutely think you should do that. Now, I always say it's about the, the important aspect of spending is not wasting it. And a lot of people think, oh, well, I'm not getting anything for, say, a trip, for example. But I don't think it's a waste. Making good memories, deeper connections with family and friends, I think are very important to the human spirit. And I encourage you to do all of those things, the things that make you feel alive, make you feel fulfilled, are even more important than all of this. And when it comes to physical things, I actually say, don't buy the cheapest. <laughs> I, I've kind of learned that lesson. You know, you pinch pennies, you go buy the, the, the cheaper version. What I always say is just buy stuff that you're going to use. That's the lesson I've always I've, I've come, come out with spending is you can go buy something that looks the cheapest and looks like a good deal. Let's just say that looks like a good deal. And that's what people oftentimes use to make their spending decisions. Is that a good deal? I don't think of it that way. I say, is this something that I need that I will use regularly that won't sit on the shelf? When you can do that, then you can go buy the expensive version of it because it's going to last longer. You're going to be more fulfilled out of it. So that's kind of the lesson I've, I've learned. Hope that helped. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, It's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice 
or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.